I'm delighted that you've made it your decision to be here today, and I hope you've got your Bible with you and eager to study with us. I encourage you to be turning to Genesis chapter 3 that's just been read to you a few moments ago. In just a little bit about what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our uh, studies this evening, we're going to be talking about the value of sin. Come back and see what that's about. We'll talk about how some people in the world and some Christians think there is value in having a record of sin in our lives. It makes us equipped better to deal with other people. We'll talk about that this evening, the value of sin. And then on Monday, we'll talk about redemption in Christ. It'd be a very basic first principle study of redemption in Christ. If you have a non-Christian friend or neighbor, that'll be the lesson you'd want them to hear. Bring them, if you can, for that study. On Tuesday evening, we'll be looking at Acts 27 and look at four anchors Paul had that anchored him, and uh, we'll make a play off of the four anchors that they put down in the ship, with reference to the ship, but anchored in the storms of life. That'll be Tuesday evening. And then on Wednesday evening, we'll talk about Luke 15, the wayward son comes home, and the question is, what brought him back home? What caused him to return? That'll be our study on, on Wednesday evening. But let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 for our study this morning. As was read to you just a few moments ago, verses 1 to 6 gives the record of Adam and Eve committing sin. God had told them in chapter 2 they were not to eat of a particular fruit. And in verses 1 to 6, we have the record of them doing the very thing God had forbidden, the aid of the fruit. And so Adam and Eve sinned. Beginning at verse 7 through verse 11, God asks them about their wrong. And so beginning at verse 7, we won't read that. That's already been read to us. I want to drop down to verse 11. God said, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? What, what have you done? Have you eaten of that fruit? And then later at verse 13, he says to the woman, this is God speaking to the woman, to Eve, what is it that you have done? So God calls them into account for what they did. God asks them about their wrong. The focal point I want us to look at at this juncture is verses 12 and 13. And that is they both claim to be victims and they played the blame game. Look at verse 12 with, with me, if you will. At verse 12, Adam said, the, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You want to know what I've done? Did I eat of that tree? Here's my response to that. That woman that you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of that and I ate. So the Lord said to the woman in verse 13, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In both cases, I want you to know, they claim to be victims and they are saying, I am not responsible. Adam is saying, I'm not responsible for what I did. I may have ate of the fruit, that's, that's true, but I'm not responsible. It's that woman that, that, that you gave me. She caused me to do it. I am a victim of the woman. The woman said, well, I may have eaten of the fruit, but I am a victim of the serpent. He caused me to be deceived. And so they both play the blame game. I want to suggest to you the blame game is a very popular game. It's alive and it's played well, even in our own present day as it was in the day of the Garden of Eden. It is played in the world. It is played in business. It is played in politics. It is played in school. And it's also played in the church. When I say it's played all around us, here's the concept of the game. The concept of the blame game is that you have a victim card that you whip out, not literally, but in essence, you pull out the victim card, 
when you've done something and you say, I'm not responsible because you see, I am a victim and I play my victim card now. Someone else is to blame for what I did. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. So I want to talk a little while about the blame game or as a subtitle of that, the victim mentality that we play the blame game quite often. And I want to talk about the playing of the game. First of all, let's talk about the first players of the game. Back to Genesis chapter three. I wanted you to notice with the case of Adam and Eve, they both claim to be victims of the faults of others. Adam and Eve would not admit that I have sinned or nor would they say together, we have sinned. What is it that you have done, Eve? She didn't say, well, I'll tell you what I did. I sinned. I did exactly what you told me not to do. With Adam, he didn't say, I have sinned or we have sinned. But with reference to Adam, pulpit commentary suggests that here we have a cold expression manifesting neither any grief nor shame. at so foul an act, but rather a desire to cover his sin. With reference to Eve, she didn't even mention the, the sin of tempting her husband. What is it that you have done, God said? She didn't say, well, I tempted my husband and I deceived him in order that he might eat. She didn't say a thing about that. But she said, the serpent beguiled me. That means he caused me to forget. I knew what was said over here, but, but the serpent caused me to forget that. Pulpit again observes that here we have a forced confession, but no appearance of contrition. She is saying it is true I did eat, but it's not my fault. It's that serpent's fault. I want you to notice the blame was shifted. With reference to Adam in verse 12, he blamed the woman. And did you notice that he also blamed God? He said, the woman that you gave me, by the way, you gave her to me. That woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. I'm not responsible. If anybody's responsible, it's her, or it might even be you, God, for giving her to me. Eve, what did she do? She blamed the serpent. She shifted the blame. The point is, anywhere but personal responsibility. I am not personally responsible for what I did. Someone else is to blame for that. I want you to notice, in the case of Adam and Eve, regardless of others, they both knew the rules. Back to Genesis chapter 2. God had said they could eat of every tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Regardless of what the serpent had done, regardless of what the woman had done, regardless of what God had done, they both knew the rules. Regardless of others, they both knew the consequence that in a day they would eat, they would surely die. Regardless of others, they both had a choice and they both made a choice and that is the aid of the fruit. Regardless of others, they were both wrong. In the case of Adam and Eve, that's the case of the first players. But they were not the only ones. Secondly, I want to suggest to you that there were many others throughout history. In fact, there have been a lot of players throughout history who've played the same game. Shifting the responsibility towards someone else. Let's look at some examples of those. First, let's talk about the case of Aaron. Let's go back to Exodus 32. Get your Bible and turn with me if you will. Exodus 32. You remember, while Moses was up on the mount, beginning at verse 1, the people came to Aaron and said, Come, let us make God's that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said this. He said, break off your golden earrings 
which are in your ears of your sons and your and your daughters and, and your wives, and bring them to me. And the people broke them off and they brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold and fashioned them into a molten calf. You know the story. Well, when Moses comes down off the mountain, he confronts Aaron about that. Let's drop down to verse 19. That Moses' anger was hot, and he broke the tablets at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, and he burned it in the fire and ground it in powder and scattered it on the water and made the people to drink. And Moses said to Aaron, what did the people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of the Lord become hot. You know, you're reading with me, look at verse, verse 22. You know the people that they are set on evil. You know these people you left me down here with. They're the kind of people that just think about doing evil. And they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what was become of them. And so I said, just break off your earrings and I put them in the fire and out come this calf. You notice what Aaron did? He blamed the people and he even blamed Moses for that. He said, you know, these people down here that you left me with, they're set on evil. And by the way, they were saying, where is this Moses? It's gone so long. You know, you're not so innocent yourself in this, that it may be you that caused part of this problem. The shifting of the blame to someone else. So Adam and Eve weren't the last players. Let's notice the case of Ahab. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you will. We won't read all of that, verses 16 through 46. That just gives us kind of the reference to, to uh, shoot for. But I want us to look at um, a statement that was made by Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab, according to verse 18, was the one that had caused the people to forsake the commandments of the Lord and follow after Baals. In other words, serve idols. He was the one that led the people astray and stirred up the, pe the problems among the people of God. But when he sees Elijah who is preaching against the idolatry, that's not the problem. It's the idolatry that's the problem. But if Elijah is preaching against the idolatry, notice in verse 17, he says, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? In other words, there's trouble in Israel that had been created by Ahab, and he points the finger at Elijah. Elijah is the one causing the problem. He's shifting the blame. I'm not responsible for what's going on. Let's notice another case. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember the case where God had told Saul, King Saul, to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. God had told him, beginning at verse 1. Go utterly destroy all the, Cam uh, uh, the uh, Amalekites. Now I want you to notice at verse 7 that Saul attacked the Amalekites. But verse 8, he also took Agag, king... Of the Amalekite alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs that was good. And it was unwilling to do, utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless he utterly destroyed. He didn't do what God said. God said utterly destroy everything. King and, the, and all the goods. But he spared the king and the best of the spoils. Now, let's notice what Samuel comes on the scene. Beginning at verse 10, Samuel comes on the scene and begins to question him about this. Look at verse 12. Then he went up, and I'm, I'm going to drop down to verse, uh, verse 13. Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And Samuel said, Then what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? 
If you've done what you were supposed to do, then why, what's all this I'm hearing of the noise of the animals over here? What's that all about? And Saul said, are you reading with me now? Look at verse 15. They, not me, not I, they have brought them up from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. But the rest we utterly destroyed. You want to know what we did? They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't do that. Samuel goes on. Look at verse 13, uh, verse, verse 18. He said, the Lord sent you and said, utterly go to destroy all the Amalekites. Why have you not, verse 19, obeyed the voice of the Lord? Why didn't you do what you were told? Verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And then gone on the mission which the Lord had sent me to bring back and, uh, and brought back uh, Agag, king of Amalek. And I have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites, but the people, verse 21, took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen. I did what I was supposed to do, but the people you see, they're the ones that didn't do what they were supposed to. He's shifting the blame. He's playing the blame game. Let's notice another example of that. Luke 15. We'll talk about Luke 15 on uh, Wednesday evening as we bring this series to a close. But in Luke 15, uh, that, at that moment, we'll be talking about the younger son. I want to focus at this time on the elder son in Luke 15. You remember when the prodigal came back home, there was music and dancing and celebration and uh, the killing of the fatted calf and putting on a robe and putting a ring on his hand. And they celebrated his return. Well, when the older brother came in, you remember the story. Verse 28, he was angry and would not go in. Who did he blame for that? Well, when his father came out, look at verse 29. He said, lo, these many years I've been serving you and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours has come, which devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed for him the fatty cat. You want to know why I'm not coming in and celebrating? It's because of the way you did me, father. The problem is with you. He's shifting the blame. I'm not to blame. I have no responsibility here, he says. Let's notice one more, then we'll move on. Let's look at... Um, this case in John 21, this is not so much a case of blaming someone else, but of focusing our attention on someone else when we need to be focusing on ourselves. Look at John chapter 21 with me, if you will. The Lord said to Peter, I'm reading it, John chapter 21, beginning at verse 18. He said, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase verses 18 and 19 because I want to get down to verse 20. The Lord said to Peter, here's what's going to happen. You're going to live to be an old man. Number one, verse 18, you're going to be imprisoned. And in verse 19, you're going to die in service of the Lord. But meanwhile, what you need to be doing is following me. So you're going to live to be old. You're going to die in the service of the Lord. You'll be imprisoned and then die in the service of the Lord. And then I want you to follow me in the meantime. Verse 20, Peter turning around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who I think to be John. Following, who had also leaned on the breast of the Lord and said, Lord, uh, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but what about this man? Now get the picture. The Lord said, Peter, I want you to listen to me. What's going to happen is you're going to live to be old. You're going to be in prison. You'll die in the service. But meanwhile, I want you to follow me. And Peter says, well, what about, what, what about this man over here? What about him? What are you going to tell him? And the Lord said, look at verse 22. He said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? 
What if I, I tell him that you're not going to be in prison, you're not going to die, and you're going to live until I return the second, for the second coming? What's that to you? I told you you're going to die and you're going to be following me. That's what I told you. The point is, Peter is focused on worrying about somebody else instead of worrying about himself. And it's the idea of shifting the focus and shifting the responsibility. There have been a lot of players through time. Let's look at a third category. We looked at the first players of Adam and Eve. They were quite well at playing this game of the blame game. There have been a lot of players throughout history, both in the Old and New Testament. Let's talk about some players today and how the game is played, or some of those who do play the game. Some play the game of the blame game by blaming their parents. By that, they may blame their parents from one end or the other of the spectrum. That is, the reason I'm not living as I should, and the reason I'm not the kind of Christian I ought to be is, you see, my, my parents had no religion at all. And so they're really responsible for me being what I am. Others are going to the other end of the spectrum. You see, my parents were just soaked up with religion to the point they pushed me too hard and they tried to shove religion down my throat and they turned me off to religion. And that's why I'm no better than I am. I don't live like I should because my parents either had no religion or too much religion. Or they try to blame their parents. You see, they made me what I am. Or they blame the world and they blame society. How so? We see the world is out to get me. Everybody's working against me. I can't seem to get ahead. I'm helpless in a terrible sea of society. I just can't get ahead. I try and I try and I take two steps forward and I get knocked back three. And I make a step forward and I get knocked back four. I can't get ahead. Everybody's against me. The whole world is against me. And so the the world is to blame for the condition I'm in. That's why I'm not more faithful than I need to be. Others blame the church and they blame brethren. Quite often somebody says, you know what, I'm discouraged. I don't know what it's like here. The brethren I've been around, when somebody starts that has become unfaithful and not living as they should, and you go visit them and you go talk to them, and they say, well, I tell you what, I'm discouraged. That's a code word for saying it's not my fault, other people are to blame. That's a code word. Well, why haven't you been at service? Well, I've been discouraged with things at church. What do you mean you're discouraged? Others are not doing what they should. I am discouraged. Everybody else is to blame. It's that woman you gave me. It's that serpent, you see. I'm discouraged, meaning somebody else is to blame. I've been ignored like those in Acts 6. I feel like I've been left out. I wasn't included in some things, and I've been treated unfriendly. And you see, there are people that are hypocrites and are not living as they should, and uh, that's discouraged me. And that's why I'm not any better than I am, and that's why I'm not coming anymore. And so we're still playing the same game. Now pay attention to this carefully. The charges may be true. They may be true. Remember what Adam said? Adam was right, wasn't he? He said, the woman you gave me. Didn't God give him the woman? He's right about that. She deceived me. She did deceive him, didn't she? She she tempted him to eat. Eve was right. The serpent beguiled her. That's what she said, and that's exactly what happened. The charge may be true. But that didn't mean they weren't responsible for their action. And so let's back up here, and the charge may be true. Your parents may have had no religion. They may have shoved religion down your throat. It may be the world is out to get you. 
It may be you have been ignored. It may be that someone has treated you unfriendly. It may be that you're discouraged. The charge may be true, but that doesn't exempt you from your responsibility of doing that which is wrong. Adam was right, and so was Eve right in what they said. They were not right in shifting the blame. I want to talk about the rules of the game. Now, you may play a little different in this county than in Bedford County where I live. But I've traveled among brethren a little bit, and I found out the rules are pretty much the same everywhere you go. Here's how the game is played. You want to know how to play the the blame game? Here are the rules of the game. And then we're going to close by talking about how to break out of this childish game. Rule number one, refuse to take responsibility for your own action. If you want to play the blame game and claim to be a victim then refuse to take responsibility for your own action. You're never to blame for what you do. You quit going to church, it's somebody else's fault. You do something wrong, you are discouraged. Remember, somebody else discouraged you. It's always somebody else. Refuse to take responsibility for your own actions. Secondly, focus on yourself and how you've been wronged. Don't ever focus on how you did wrong. Focus on yourself and how you have been wrong. As elders, we sometimes go to see, see someone and we visit with them and we, we sit down and we, you know, you haven't been in services in a little while. What, what's going on? Their focus is always how they have been wrong. Not that they should have been worshiping, but I've been wrong by someone. Someone did me wrong. That's how you play the game. Focus on how you've been wrong. Thirdly, make the wrong done to you greater than your own wrong. Adam said, in essence, he admitted, I ate, but it's that woman. That's worse. The fact that she led me to that is worse than the fact that I ate. He said, well, I did eat of that. That's true. But it's that serpent. That's worse than what I did. Make the wrong done to you greater than anything you've ever done wrong. That's how you play the game. Fourth, feel powerless to overcome. Act like you're stuck. Those that I know who play the game and play it well, they act like they're stuck. I can't get out of this. Uh, There's nothing I can do. I've been done wrong. Uh, The whole society is against me and I'm stuck in this rut and I can't get out. There's no way to get out of this. And so this is just my lot in life. Fifth, this is very important. Listen to this one. Use the power of the game. Always act as if you're morally right but not responsible or accountable and forever entitled to sympathy. I'm going to read that one again. You want to know how to play the game? This is one of the greatest rules. Use the power of the game. Always act as if you're morally right. You're on the moral high road. I have been done wrong in ways that I would never do wrong. It's true I may not be assembling anymore, and it's true that I'm not living like I should, and it's true my marriage isn't what it should, but I want to tell you I've never done what others have done toward me. Always act like you're on the moral high road and you're not responsible or accountable and you're entitled to sympathy forever because of how you've been wrong. That's how you play the game. And next and last, blow your problem up bigger than what it really is. If you've been slighted a little bit, act like you've always been slighted. If you have, if someone didn't speak to you one Sunday, act like they never speak to you any Sunday. If someone had a get-together and you were overlooked, act like you're always overlooked. That's how you play the game. That's how you become entitled to sympathy. 
blow your problem up bigger than what it really is. So what does Proverbs have to do with that? Well, Proverbs chapter 18 talks about he that answered a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame. That is, it's foolish to make conclusions based upon insufficient data. Playing this game, you always want to give insufficient data. Verse 17 says, the one who pleads his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. There's two sides to the story. Playing the blame game, only give your side. That's how you play the game. That's the rules of the game. Now let's spend the rest of our time talking about how do we break out of this children's game because it is childish, it's immature to play the blame game. How do we break out of this game? Let's consider some Bible principles. Let's consider first of all that wrong is always wrong no matter how you got there. Wrong is always wrong no matter how you got there. A violation of the law is still sin. 1 John 3 and in verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. So if I violate the law of God, that's still sin, no matter how I got there. You may have deceived me. I may have been misled. I may have been mistreated. But if I've done wrong, no matter how I got there, wrong is still wrong. When Adam ate of the fruit, it was still wrong. When Eve partook of the fruit, it was still wrong, no matter how you got there. Sin still separates from God. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death, a separation from God, no matter how you got there. Secondly, how do I break out of this children's game? Take responsibility for your own sin. Ezekiel 18 says that we don't bear the sins of others. The son shall not bear the iniquities of the father, nor the father bear the iniquities of the son. We don't bear the sins of others. The parents may have done wrong, but you don't bear their guilt. Your children may do wrong, but you don't bear their guilt. When you do wrong, no one else bears your guilt. Ezekiel 18. Every one of us must give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14 and then verse 12. James 1 says we're all drawn away of our own lust and enticed. So when you eat of the fruit that is forbidden, you're drawn away of your own lust. Someone else may be holding it out saying this is good to eat. You want to partake of that. But why was you drawn to it? Not because someone deceived you. It's because of your own lust you're enticed. James chapter 1. Take responsibility for your own sin. Wrong is always wrong no matter how you got there. Take responsibility for your own sin. Thirdly, realize you can overcome your past. You may have had a terrible raising. Your home life may have been awful. You can overcome your past. Ezekiel 18 says a son can overcome a wicked father. That's the point of Ezekiel 18. That that you could have a righteous man and have a wicked son. You could have a wicked man and he could have a righteous son. Because that son can overcome the wickedness of his father. Paul overcame his past, didn't he? When he raised in the Jewish religion. Those who are opposed to Christianity, and yet he overcame his past. The Corinthians overcame the past. Remember that the homosexuals were mentioned, fornicators, adulterers, and idolaters, and such were some of you. But you're washed, you're justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And by the way, That great example of faith, we talk about Abraham who believed even God. He was raised in idolatry, by the way. He overcame that idolatry. He could have very well said, you know what, Father, I I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe what God, God, what you're saying about we're going to have a child. Because after all, you see, my daddy was an idolater. That's kind of hard for me to overcome. But the text says he believed even God. Next, 
Whatever God expects of you, realize you can do that. We talked a little about that in the last hour. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God expects me to do something, then I can do it. If God expects me to worship, I can worship. If God expects me to be there, I can be there. If God expects me to forgive, I can forgive. If whatever God expects me to do, I can do that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And last of all, realize you're not the only one to have been wrong. You're not the only one to have ever been wrong. You're not the only one that's ever been slighted. Their brother's been slighted. You're not the only one that's ever been ignored or left out. There are others that have been ignored and left out. You're not the only ones to get your feelings hurt. There are others that have got their feelings hurt. And in fact, you may very well call some of that yourself. It might have been that you did something and you ignored somebody or you left them out accidentally and you didn't include them. So how do I break out of this children's game? When I recognize wrong is wrong, no matter how I got there, take responsibility for my own sin. Realize you can't overcome your path. Whatever God expects you to do, you can do and you can be. And last of all, realize that you're not the only one that's ever been wrong. That's the blame game. We saw the first players in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve started pointing the finger. I'm a victim of what others have done. There have been a lot of players through history. Whether it be Saul, whether it be Aaron, whether it be the, young, the older brother. Pointing their finger in another direction. We've looked at the rules of the game. We see how it's played even in our own day in the church. And here's how the rules are played. But more importantly, how do I break out of this, childless, this, this children's game? This uh, childish game? immature game of pointing a finger at someone else to be to blame for what I've done when I have done that which is wrong. May God help us to take responsibility for our own sins. There may be one or more present this morning who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?